last week we started a series called It's Personal, if you weren't here. Uh, we started talking about some of, the, some of the topics around Advent. We just mixed them all up. We're not doing it in any particular order. But just simply talking about this, um, the idea of the Christmas story being more than a story, being, being uh, that each of the elements of it become personal for us. And last week we talked about hope. We talked about how there's an incredible heartache when there's no hope. When you get a doctor's report that says there's no hope, oh, it just deflates something on the inside. And the Bible just says and describes it as feeling sick on the inside. And, and for many of you who have been without hope, you know what that feels like. But it's so, it was so um, true on the flip side is that when hope returns, it just brought all kinds of life to your life. And so we talked about how Jesus was the hope of the world that they had been longing for a Savior for so long. They'd kind of given up hope. And then all of a sudden, the words that came to Zachariah and Elizabeth brought again this hope that God remembered and God heard. And that idea of how it was personal for them, uh, we read that Matthew wrote it out as Jesus. His name is the hope of the world. And we said, that's great that he's the hope of the world, but what about you? Is he your hope? Has it become personal for you? Have you put your hope in him? And so today I want to talk about another topic, one of the other topics that we celebrate during Advent. And if you're not sure what Advent means, it basically just means the arrival of someone or something important. And so we've, we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus on the, on the planet, which happened 2,000 years ago, which we celebrate at Christmas. But there's another coming. There's another uh, arrival that we uh, are looking forward to, and that's where he's coming again for us. And so these, this, this story of Jesus coming to um, rescue the world is not just a story. It's a story about very real people. And last week we looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth, real people that um, far on in age were still praying and, and hoping for a child and how God answered that, that prayer and how um, brought hope through their child to the world as well. But real people. And we looked at it. And today I want to look at another couple that was involved in the Christmas story. But I want you to just think about, because you've probably heard the story so many times, to think about what it would have been like to be those People. So the skit guys uh, have put something together. So we're gonna we're gonna watch that uh, that video now. You know, maybe you're one of those people that you're listening while they're talking, uh, and you know, well, while they're just talking, you're on your iPhone. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. You know, maybe for you, um, I'm guilty of that. Definitely. Um, Maybe for you, it's, you know, the Saturday or night or Sunday morning, you're in church, and at certain, certain points, I see it sometimes, your eyes glaze over, you're looking at me, and you're smiling. But I can be saying things like, you know, in Hezekiah chapter 3, the uh, rainbow-colored unicorns are going to arrive with flowers, and they are going to dis bestow the, the water from the fountain of youth on all those who believe. And you would smile and nod and be like, yeah, amen. We even had people amening that last night. And, you know, it's... It's this idea of, yes, I'm, I'm listening, but I, I want to encourage you with that thought this morning to be listening, not necessarily just for my voice, but what are the things that are, that are grabbing at your heart through, uh, through this morning? But what I want to challenge you is we don't know, the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly how, how this um, scene took place. We just know that it did. And we sometimes think, oh, they're just kind of these people, they had this conversation. But what would it have been like to be Joseph? Have you ever thought about what it would have been like to be him? To actually feel what he felt when he found out, you know, that his fiance is coming up to him uh, and says, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant and it's not you. And he would have known it's not me. How would you have felt? You know, I think sometimes we don't really think about that very often. It's just the story, you know, we got to go through, and yeah, that's how it went. And those, those people, they were different than us. I mean, they're, they had to be superhuman. They're in the Bible. 
But they're about very real people. And what happens if we can disassociate the real people from the scene, we can disassociate us from what the story is really all about. It was about someone else, but our challenge for the, uh, this series is that things would become personal. So we get a little bit of insight into how this may have happened and what um, took place after it. Luke gives the details of what Mary's perspective looked like, and you can read that at home later in Luke chapter 2, because it's like 13 verses, like a few hundred words, uh, and it gives her perspective. And Luke, who is Mr. Details, wrote it all down. And then you get Matthew's perspective, which is like a whole lot less, like 23 words. And it's kind of like today, right? Women use like hundreds of words where men can say it in 23 words. So we're going to go with Matthew's because it's shorter. So turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Something like, see, the women are all talking now. You can just, all right. This is, how, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. He writes, his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. The words actually betrothed, and we'll talk about that in a second. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that line. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break their engagement quietly. And as he considered this... Remember that word. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, is what the prophet said. She'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did exactly as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. As we read about this, and as we see these thoughts, we think, oh, you know, what would it have been like to be Joseph? You know, if you'd heard that, you know, I don't know if you ever have that, like, um, as a couple that, you know, sometimes an event happens and you just wait to the last possible second to explain or to tell your spouse or to tell that person what happened. You know, maybe you took the, took the, the van and you backed up into like a reindeer on someone's property and scratched the bumper and, and you know, you know you got to tell your husband and you go home and you're like, oh, I got to tell him, I got to tell him. some point I got I to gotta tell him. He loves that man van. You know, I got to tell him. This is not a true story. So then, uh, then, uh, you know, you wait and you wait and you wait until, until you see your husband walking to the end of the van to get something out of the back and you realize he's going to see the scratch. i got to tell him now <gasps> uh, about, about that. You know, or whatever it might be, we delay, we delay, we delay. We don't know how long Mary waited from the point where she found out that she was pregnant before she went to tell Joseph. We just know that she did. And we don't really know how long Joseph waited after he heard that information to decide what he was going to actually do. We're pretty sure, well, actually, we're convinced that he didn't explode like some of us probably would have. Picture it. Picture back, especially for you married folks. Picture back to that moment where you're like, you're planning your wedding, you're pumped and excited about it, and all of a sudden your fiancé comes and tells you, yeah, about the wedding, uh, I cheated on you. You would have done something else with that chisel, I'm sure. But we know that Joseph didn't he didn't erupt. He didn't, he didn't uh, blow up. But we don't know exactly what happened in that moment. But what we do know 
is kind of what happened after the fact. And here's, here's what we do know. As we, as we read through, we realize these two were betrothed to one another. And it's not exactly the same as being engaged here because when they were betrothed to one another, they were legally married. This was an agreement that was happened that these two are already married. We're just waiting for the celebration service. There is no, the deal is already is already done. They just haven't consummated their marriage. And in that culture, it was different than here. In that culture, there was two steps to the marriage ceremony. There was the agreement, and then there was the the celebration. And in that time as well, it was completely different in this way, that the parents were the ones who organized the marriage with little consent from the couple. They just chose somebody based on, on, on who would be good for the whole family unit. It wasn't just about the two people involved. It was about, you know, which family, if we join our family with their family, which is going to be better for our families as a whole. I love that idea. I think, you know, that would be awesome to be able to choose because some people they just don't know how to choose. You know, if the, if the parents would go and, 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 and help with this idea, they're, they're thinking a whole lot straighter than the people like, oh, I'm so in love. You know, we do like the movies where it's like, oh, you see her across the room and maybe it's even at church and you're like, this must be a sign. You know, she's so hot and she's looking at me. <gasps> oh, it's awesome. And you're like, you go across the room and you talk that first conversation. You're like, we have so much in common. We go to the same church. This has got to be God. And then you, you know, you, you ask her out and you both love Tim Hortons. You're like, I can't believe we love the same coffee shop without thinking that that's the only coffee shop in Canada, right? So it's like, this is, I mean, in this part of the country anyways, and you're like, ah, oh, it must be a sign. And you go through and then you find out, you know, they got baggage, right? They're like, they got these issues from their past and, you know, they hate their, their dad and they got all kinds of these things and they, they gamble and they spend money and he drinks a little too much. And you're like, ah. Oh, it doesn't matter. Love will cover all of it. He's just so dreamy. And then, and then you get married, and a few years later, the baggage is all still there, and now it's like screwing up your lives. You're like, man, I wish. How come I didn't see? And every parent's like, we tried to tell you. See, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be so much easier? I, I know. I feel you. Wouldn't it, <laughs> wouldn't it be so much easier if we as parents could just go and say, here's an upstanding, great character, full of integrity, young man, and here's a, a girl who values the Lord and inner beauty more than outer. These, these are good choices. Be like, oh, I don't really like her that much. Doesn't matter. You know, this is, you'll learn to. And you think, well, that's really strange. But think about this for a second. The idea of arranged, and I'm not trying to bring that back, don't worry. But the idea of arranged marriage back then was this idea that love was going to be based on a commitment, not on physical or emotional attraction. Love was going to be based on what it was supposed to be based on, ultimately, not based on what we call love. See, in our culture, we hear this word love, and we already think something, and then we hear the Bible version of it. Back then, they said, there just is one version, and this is the idea of love as a commitment, not simply what we feel about one another. And so they would have had this idea of the arranged marriage, establishing love as a commitment between two people and allowing for those moments of emotion and those moments of, um, you know, connection to, to be a part of that as well. Joseph's family and him, he would have paid a bride price for Mary at the beginning, this insurance that she would stay faithful to him. And, uh, you know, for, for Joseph to hear the words, I'm pregnant, was a massive cultural no-no. I mean, so much that what, what that would be, it would be breaking the law. This wasn't just like, oh, like, oh, man, you know, they messed around. Oh, darn, you know, my parents' generation's like, shotgun wedding. You know, and, and, and our generation's like, well, we'll just wait till the baby's born. Then we'll get married so I fit in the dress. Right, like this, these, we just do it differently. 
Back then, back then it was, you, she was breaking the law and was punishable by death. Boy, would we think differently about how we navigate our engagements in this day and age if that was the penalty, no? Nervous laughter. Right on cue. All right. Every, every great movie, every great story that you read or watch, it's moved ahead by the choices and the decisions of the individuals involved. It doesn't matter so much what happens in the plot. It's what do they decide to do with what they've heard. Ocean's Eleven, if you've seen that movie, he gathers Danny Ocean, George Clooney, gathers all the Eleven together for this big heist. And as he gets them together before, he says, guys, this is the moment. If you're in, you're in, because there's no turning back from this point. You're either in or you're out, but you're deciding now. And, they, and they're like, we are in. We're going to do this together. And from that moment, they knew, we're going in. There's no, there's no turning back. There's no going back. Joseph, Mary would have had the same idea when Mary, when the angel told her, you're going to become pregnant. And she's like, wait a second, I'm a virgin. And she asks, like, how is this? This could be dangerous for me. But she says, Lord, let it be as you wish. There was no turning back. When Joseph uh, got to this point where he's considering, am I going to take Mary to be my wife? If I take her to be my wife, there's no going back because I'm going to forever have to answer these questions about why, what happened really, Joseph? There's no going back. And for all Joseph knew, Mary was either crazy, sure, Mary, you saw an angel. How many of you that would work for you? She comes up to your wife, you know, like, hey, uh, about that, we're going to have another child, we're going to have another child, and you're like, what? Like, if Beth came to me, it's like, an angel came and told me, like, who is this Angelo, you know, I'm going to kill him, right? Uh, I'm not buying that, you know, and for me, it's like an angel, either she's crazy or she's lying to me, and, and I know she's neither, but how do I... How do I believe this? For all that Joseph knew, the only logical conclusion was that Mary had been unfaithful. According to Jewish law, just remember these thoughts. According to Jewish law, his rights as a husband were that he could either publicly shame her so that he would be in the clear. He would say, listen, she cheated on me, brought her before the elders, and said, listen, so from here on, she's kind of banished. Uh, It was up to him to decide whether that was punishable by death or just punishable by by um, uh, public shaming. But those were his rights as a husband. And Luke and Matthew both make sure that they write and say, listen, this Jesus, he was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit so that neither Mary or Joseph were unfaithful to their betrothal promises. And in that time when rumors would have been swirling around the idea of who is this Jesus really? We all know who he was. He's the kid who was born out of, you know, we don't even know who his father is. And you hear that the Pharisees even use that against him. When Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, they're like, well, at least we're not illegitimate children. This idea that Jesus would have been, you know, illegitimate was something that Mary and Joseph would have had to have thought about as they were, as they were going um, through this process and in the, in the heat of those, the, the moment of those, of those feelings. What we know about Joseph, that Joseph was a just man. It writes about he was just and that, that idea of being just is that he wanted to show Mary compassionate justice. We see that based on his decisions, we see a lot about the kind of man Joseph was, that he wanted to do the right thing in the right way so as not to bring any extra shame on Mary or her family. Joseph would have been heartbroken, but he wasn't out for vengeance. He was heartbroken, but not out to just bring incredible shame to her. It says he wanted to do this, do it secretly, make sure that there was the least amount of shame possible. Just imagine what would have happened had he acted a different way. 
What, what would have happened had he had just simply said, no, Mary, you're on this on your own. Forget it. I don't care what you said. If it was God, I'll let him take care of you. What if they had acted differently? See, what we see about Joseph and our topic today of love is that Joseph acted in love when he probably didn't feel in love. He chose to make decisions that were love-based rather than to act on the feelings and emotions and, and, and go with what were his rights. And we learn something about that. As you see the, the message and the teaching of Jesus, you see that Jesus carried on this, this thought and introduced uh, a bit our world to this idea of a different kind of love. I just want to read these words. There's a couple, they're, they're a little bit lengthy, but they're his words. His words to his followers then, his words to, to you and I uh, this morning. So if you have your, uh, have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5, one of Jesus' most famous messages. He says this in verse 43. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Remember that word, enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. And that word just simply means complete, mature, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Luke writes about the same thing, and he, he adds some uh, details that he remembers from that moment. If you read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, he says this, But to you who are willing to listen... To you this morning who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt too. Give to anyone who asks and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do unto you. You wonder where that came from? It's in the Bible. He says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit for that? Because even sinners do that much. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. But I say love your enemies. Again, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And you must be compassionate, just as our Father is compassionate. You read about these things, you're like, man, what kind of love is that? You know, loving those. He said, you know, if you love those who love you, that doesn't really count for that much. We were talking about that last night. It's the idea of being a hockey player, you know, getting on the ice during practice and scoring a hat trick. You know, you put three, goal, three pucks in the net, you score three goals, but there wasn't a goalie there. And you will skate around the ice and you're like stick in the air hoping whatever fans are there are going to throw their hats on the ice and be like, nobody's celebrating that. It doesn't matter unless it's in the game. And he says the same thought. It doesn't matter if it's just simply, I'm going to love those who can love me in return. That's not really what this idea of love is all about. He says, my love looks different. Love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Do good to those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. And we think, man, that's pretty tough. But Jesus lived it out. He loved exactly like that. 
He washed the disciples' feet, including Judas, the one who would backstab him only minutes later. He knew it, but he loved differently. He laid down his life for me. And his life, he laid down for you. In Romans, Paul says, it's while we were still sinners. Well, we didn't deserve it at all. He laid his life down. Why? Because his love's about action and not based on feeling. Jesus taught his followers to love, not based on whether the other person deserves it or based on their actions, but simply to love based on who he is and what he's done, not on who they are and what they've done. You think about that. You see that. In the life of Joseph, when he hears this word from Mary, that he chooses to love differently. Because this love that you love where, where, um, where others have earned it or based on their actions, it's a toxic kind of love that just destroys relationships. Children who are raised in homes where their parents show more love to them when they do good. When they get an A, they're loved more. When they get an F, why can't you be more like your brother? breeds in them this idea of I've got to earn this love. I've got to achieve. I've got to to be loved. It becomes toxic. You know, in marriages, kids raised that way end up in marriages where they they love their spouse based on how their spouse uh, acts or what they do. And, And what happens is it becomes this negative cycle that can only go one way, and that's down. And he says, I want you to love differently like that. And you're like, how can I have feelings of love for someone I don't even like? How do I have feelings of love for ISIS? How do I have feelings of love for for the people at work that, that are mean to me? How do I have feelings of love for the kids at school who bully me? How do I have love for my spouse who frankly doesn't deserve it? And he said, who said anything about feelings? Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul describes this kind of love, and he says this, isn't, this thing has nothing to do with how you feel. It's what you choose to do in spite of how you feel. This idea of love, he says, you know, we've, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard these verses, because love is patient, love is kind, love is not proud. You know, you're like, oh, that's a sweet verse, but what about when it gets personal? What about when it means things like this? Love chooses to be patient, to persevere patiently, to not lose heart, to endure misfortune and troubles, and to be slow to anger. What about love when it chooses to be kind, even when others are not kind to you? Love chooses to speak kindly, even when others have not chosen to speak kindly to you. Love chooses not to be proud, all about me and all about what I want, and I'm going to be right. Love chooses to lay that down. Love chooses not to become irritable. Oh, this is like the toughest one for me. This is one of those things where it's like, I feel like, but love decides that I'm not going to act out of irritation. Love chooses not to provoke others to anger. You know your wife's buttons. You know exactly what to say and what to, uh, what to do or just that look that you can give that's just going to set her off and you know it. I can see the, (laughs) keep it down, people. (laughs) But you know it. Love chooses not to push those when you know you can. Love chooses not to think or focus on the worst in people. You know, as we sit here this morning, everybody looks all clean, and we we got smiles on. Guess what? Do you know that every single one of us has these things in us that are just nasty? (laughs) Ha, ha. Wouldn't it be awesome if people didn't focus on our nastiness, but instead chose to focus on what's good? 
We're not denying that it's there. We're just not going to focus on that. We're not going to try and fix each other all the time. We're going to focus on what's good. Why is that? Because that's love. It chooses to focus. Love doesn't celebrate at others' misfortune even when they deserve it. Love's not the one that's like, I told you so. Love celebrates what's true. Love chooses to protect the other. Love chooses to embrace hope, which we talked about last week. Love chooses to keep on waiting expectantly. Love chooses to never give up. Even when you feel like giving up, even when it's like they don't deserve it, love chooses to simply never give up acting in love. It doesn't mean the scenario is going to stay the same. It doesn't mean that your marriage is going to make it through. It doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. It simply means that in the process and in the journey, you're going to treat the other person with love. Love not because of who they are or because they deserve it or what they've done, but love because of who he is and because of what he's done for you. So I, I want to challenge you with this thought this morning because the whole idea of this series is it's personal. So would you take a moment, and maybe you already know, but as we've read this, who are the who's in your life? Who are the who's? Who's the one when you hear the word enemy, you see their face? Who's the one that when you hear unkind words, those words are just there in your mind as if they were spoken to you yesterday? Who's the one who's not treated you fairly? Who's the one who's not been kind? Who's the one who tests your patience? Who's the one you just feel like, I cannot love that person because I don't like that person? Who's that person? Because it's not about a story. And as long as it remains a little Bible story, it does zero in our lives. And he says, I'm bigger and I'm about more than that. I love you too much to allow you to just keep hurting you. I love you too much to allow you to hold on to things inside that just that cause damage down the road. And for some of you, you'd say, I have a right to be angry at them. You have no idea what they did. It's not about what they did. I have a right to not forgive them. I have a right to, uh, to treat them as they've treated me. And oftentimes, it's exactly what we feel. But when we think about Joseph, when we think about Jesus teaching this idea, of we have a right to love because we've been loved. Andy Stanley says it this way, that in situations we find ourselves in, to ask ourselves this question, what does love require of me? What does this kind of love require in my life, in my relationships, in my situation? You're like, well, that sounds so cliche. How could I possibly live that out? If you've missed everything, please don't miss this. Last night, we had a few people leave during this portion previous because it just hit too close to home, they said. It was like, oh, I don't know how to do You don't understand the situation I'm in. How do I love these people? I, don't, I just don't have it in me. And I want to share this thought with you this morning that I believe it's impossible to love like this until you realize that you are loved like this. That it is impossible to love others with this kind of love, with this kind of patience, with this kind of kindness, until you realize wholeheartedly that you have been shown that kind of love, and you are loved unconditionally. You are loved in spite of your actions. You are loved not because you deserve it. You are just simply loved because of who He is and what He's done for you. And there's Christians, followers of Jesus that are around the world that do not understand that God loves you. It's why the story of Christmas is, is, is even a part of what we understand is because God so loved the world 
but it's not just the world, it's you. God so loves you. Can you put your name in there? God so loves Fabian. God so loves Alice. God so loves you, Dan. God so loves you. God so loves you, Harvey. God so loves you, Laura. God so loves you, Patrick. He so loves you. I think, man, my prayer has been that as a church, as individuals, as people, we would get a revelation. What does that mean? My eyes would become open that I'm like, yes, I understand that. And Paul prayed the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul Paul prayed for this church. They would understand what he had written to the Romans, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Well, I didn't deserve at all. When he had every right to do something other than love me, he sent his son for me. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and he said this in Ephesians 3.16. You can read it here. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, not from yours or anything you did, but from his, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down where? Into his love. The roots of your life, that, that idea of what, you, what your life consists of, it's growing. It's being nourished out of his kind of love. And that will keep you strong. May you have the power to understand as all God's people, as all of his children should. Would you understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. And this is the best part. Not just that you would understand, but would you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete. Complete. Mature. That idea of complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. He prayed, may you experience it. You know, the idea of this experience is, I thought about this, is the idea of eating dinner. Some people, you're at home, you just kind of eat dinner, and it's just dinner. And then there's others who experience dinner. Like, these people. Do we have them? <laughs> Alice, the party animal, experiencing dinner. Reuben, experiencing dinner. This is one of those things where you had to be there moments. I can't explain enough in words what this felt like, tasted like, smelled like, or felt like later. You know, I can't. You had to be there face-to-face with that pig to understand what it was like to experience that bite. I can't explain to you what the love of God is like. I can't explain that you could fully understand what it's like, but his desires that you wouldn't just understand it here and be like, oh yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It was that you would experience and say, you know what? God so loves Mark no matter what. He can't not love me. He doesn't have love for me. He simply is love. It's who he is. I can't do anything that's going to impress him more, and I can't do anything that's going to make him love me less because it's not about me, it's about him. And out of that revelation, that understanding of how much you're loved, that you would be able to love in return. There's two types of people here today, and I want to close with this, and I want you to answer this question inside. You don't have to raise hands, it'll be really awkward. But this idea of just, which one are you? There are people here this morning that you have not really experienced the love of Christ. You think it's still based on what you do. You're here this morning thinking that by being here, You know, it was a good deed that could outweigh some of the badness, the the ugliness that you feel in your life. For some of you, you've not experienced the love of God because you just really haven't thought about God. You're like, what? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. There's more to this life than me. Oh, if there's a God, I don't know. I I don't really know what I think about that. Maybe Maybe you haven't experienced the love of God fully, 
Because for you, you don't think he's loving. You think, you know, how can God be loving if this happened in my childhood? How could God be loving if this is happening all around the world? And you're attributing things that, that, that God did not do to him. And you think, man, he can't be loving because he did this. I want to I submit that maybe it wasn't him that did it. And that you're giving him credit for something he had nothing to do with. That the idea is that there's an enemy out there, sin, that's trying to destroy you all the time and keep your eyes off of it and blame someone else. But it just closes the door of your heart to what he wants for you. And it's that, that love that you would know, that you would know, that you would know. Because as soon as you know you're loved here, you stop looking for it everywhere else. You don't need people's approval because you have his. You don't need to draw on your wife uh, uh, all this like uh, uh, stuff that she can't give you to make you feel like you matter or you're worth it because he's the only one who can do that in your life. You're not the one who goes around, you know, from, from bed to bed with, with whoever the guy is who's telling you that they love you because it just, oh, in those moments you feel loved because you don't need it anymore because you know that you are loved no matter what. Maybe you think he's angry at you, but I want to tell you, he's not. And here's proof, because the God of all creation, who had every right to condemn you, to condemn us as mankind for sin in general and individual, when he had the right to do all of that, he chose to do something different. He chose to send himself to this planet to pay the price for our screw-ups so that we would have the opportunity to have relationship restored with him again. We didn't do anything to deserve it. He did it. And God so loves the world, has that become personal for you? The Goo Goo Dolls have a song that says, let love in. My challenge for you this morning is, if you don't realize that God loves you, to open your heart, to let that in, that the truth is that he loves you. When you hear it, you believe it. But I want to challenge you to start telling yourself this every single day. Start finding it in the word that realizes so that you get to the point where you believe that and nothing else. And the second group of people are those you've experienced the love of God. You've let that love in. It's personal for you. This isn't a Sunday thing. This is like every day you wake up and you're like, oh God, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift. It's you and me today. What, what are we going to do? Help me to live my life to please you. And, and you're living that out. And you've experienced the love of God, but you've experienced it on the receiving end. You're in the place where, yes, yes, I believe that God loves me and I know that God loves me. But I want to submit that probably what Paul's writing is not just this idea that you would experience the love of God from the receiving side because that's not what love's all about. That you would fully experience the love of God by experiencing it from being the side of the giver. That you would say that in spite of everything that I've been, the way I've been treated, I will choose to love the way he loves. I will be kind to the person who is unkind to me. I will love not because they deserve it, because he loves me. I'm going to love them because he loves me. I'm going to show them that love because they probably need it. They, they may not understand. And, and, and my encouragement and challenge to you is to let love out. Let love out of your heart to those It's one of those things as we read today, we hear about Jesus doing it, Joseph doing it, Paul talking about it. But my question, is it personal? Has it become personal? Because this whole idea wasn't about just something you do on the weekend. It was about the way it affects and changes your everyday life. Because that's where you live. That's where your relationships are at. That's where life is at. Just one hour here. It's got to become personal. And this morning it can for those of you who've never experienced the love of Jesus, he loves you. It's simply just saying, you know what, Jesus, 
I just, I hear this, that you love me in spite of me. If you'll take me as I am, then I will live my life for you. I'll turn from the life that I've lived and show me, teach me. You don't got to get it all cleaned up. Let him take care of that. And for those of you who know the love of God, you're going to have opportunities today to show it. And I'd encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Above all, thank you for your incredible love for us. I pray this morning, along with Paul, that you give us a revelation of that, even stronger revelation of that than we may have already, that we would understand just how loved we are by you. And may we in turn show that love to those around us. God, I thank you for the opportunities we'll have today to walk out in that, in, in that kind of love. Holy Spirit, I pray you give us the strength, give us the, the words to say. Lord, and uh, <laughs> that we'd have that check on the inside when we want to erupt and we want to just act out of emotion, but that you would lead us and direct us in how to respond in love for your kingdom, for your glory, for your good, and that they might see you in us. So we pray, amen.